Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Uh, what's up this week, Rick? I'm I'm looking at your new mic and thinking I need to upgrade my mic now. Yeah, I got the fancy, like the Shure SM7B, which... If you care to waste time on something that doesn't matter, this is like the podcasting mic. <laughs> How much does it cost? Uh, $400 for the mic. But then, so the, the mics, the, the mic I was using is either the same or similar to yours, like a 70 ish dollar one, but it has USB direct into the computer. Mm-hmm. This one has to go into a preamp and into an audio, a USB audio interface. So it's not just the mic, you, you have to get two other things too. So, I kind of decided to just like nerd out on audio stuff and go for it. Well, you you kind of are uh, you you like your audio. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I was in bands and stuff like that, and so I, I had a lot of audio equipment that I liked fiddling with, and I kind of stopped, and so I've started again. Well, I can't wait to see how it transfers in terms of recording. Hopefully, it sounds good. Yeah, hopefully, it at least doesn't sound worse. I'm not expecting anyone's mind to be blown by this but we'll see there's all these knobs i can change now so like do i have the knobs set correctly i i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) that's a fun thing to mess around with yeah um but on that topic if i can just go into like i can i'm gonna like really torture this topic and turn it into something kind of quasi startup related um (laughs) i've do people ever ask you like what are your hobbies and what do you say to that what are my hobbies? Yeah. I think another version of that same question is, what do you like to do for fun? Mm-hmm. Would you say, is that what you're asking me? Yeah. Yeah. That works. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I play basketball. I read. I especially like reading. Um, I write. I play video games when I can, and my wife won't get mad at me, uh, which is rare now. Um, let's see. I like to ski. I like to play go you know tennis i don't really like running but i force myself to do it i wish it was a f- hobby mm-hmm. is that so the reason question? i ask yeah, it answers my question the, the reason i ask is when people ask me this I, i've not had nearly as good of an answer and the reason this is startup related is my answer was always like well i am all, constantly challenged by my business it's a never-ending source of new things to do things to learn things to work on and i enjoy it so like that's my hobby, which I, I don't think is untrue, but it's like a really unsatisfying answer, and it leads people to be like, "Oh, so you have zero work life balance, and you are a total loser." Got it? <laughs> Wait, so I didn't really follow that. Your your hobby is what? Work. Work. Basically, that's the that's the problem. Is my answer was well the the thing like what's the job to be done of a hobby? It's like challenge yourself, learn new things, have fun, relax. And I got all of that from work. So I was kind of like, I don't need hobbies, more or less. Um, People really understandably don't like that answer. Like it makes it sound like I don't have a life at all. One of the things that I, like I took this two weeks off, this is my first week back at work, um, during which I moved and in the process of moving, you know, just thought about some stuff and like, it occurred to me, what did I keep doing during that two weeks that were technically vacation that are work-related? I kept doing this podcast. I kept doing stuff related to earnest capital and being a mentor. And there's like a mastermind group related to that. 
um, and like a handful of other things like that. And it, what it, what occurred to me is like those are related to work, but it's not work. Like those are my hobbies, and it's not the same thing as going to work. And that's part of the reason why I gave myself permission to like get this mic I don't need and and stuff like that. As I'm like, oh, I, I have hobbies. I've just kind of like been blurring them all together because they are they help with work like I'm talking about work and stuff here but it, it it is a different thing and I'm trying to give myself more permission to like not treat it like part of my job if that makes sense and it sounds like you know give yourself permission to invest in it yeah both yeah. both from a time standpoint and a you know monetary standpoint yeah because in the past I'd be like well this podcast doesn't get me any customers like it's probably is it even worth the hour of time that I put into it a week but if you think like, well, this is a hobby of mine, then you, you don't have that pressure anymore. So anyway, this is me like, again, torturing this topic, but uh, I'm, I'm like investing a little bit more in this stuff. I think it's actually pretty interesting of a topic that if you, that actually could probably increase your happiness as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, by being more clear about what your hobbies actually are and go and realizing that you probably do get energy from these hobbies versus, you know, getting tired. And so investing in them is probably not a bad idea. So for example, like I'm wondering about the podcast, like now that you classify it as a hobby, does that change your willingness to invest time into it? Uh, Or do you feel like you're putting the right amount of time into it right now? I'm not sure I know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll say I probably have less, feel less pressure for there to be like return on investment with the time I put in. Whereas if you think about it as work and it still is I do it during work hours. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of a mixture of both, but does my, does the audio quality of my voice need to be better? Absolutely not. It's not going to get us any listeners. It's not going to get less annoying ceremony customers, but it's fun. And so thinking about it as like, I will invest in something that doesn't have any return, but that I enjoy, that's a slightly different outlook on this, I think. Totally. Which means you're, you most likely, you know, if 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 an increase in time within whatever capacity you have for time in all hobbies, if an increase in of that time into podcasting resulted in more fun for you, it's a good investment. If it's not, mm-hmm. then there's probably diminishing returns at some point. Like I can only play so much basketball before my legs. I can't walk <laughs> the next day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the point of a hobby. I think is like you shouldn't spend all your time doing the same thing. It's like I like eating you know, pizza or whatever, but I don't want to just sit around eating pizza all day. And so one of the values of separating these things out is saying, no, I'm not spending all my time on one thing work. There are all these different activities that all kind of tie into it a little bit. Anyway, you mentioned uh, spending time with Ernest Capital. Uh, Any updates there on the mentoring program? Um, not a ton there. There's like a Slack group that the, the founders they invest in and then the, their mentors, which are like some of their LPs and stuff like that, uh, are in. I'm participating in it. I, I, it's not super high volume, but I enjoy being in it. And I actually, if I were getting started right now, this is going to be like a shameless sales pitch for like checking Ernest out. But I think it would be really helpful if you're just getting started to have that that resource. I love being there. And someone asks a question, I'm like, I have dealt with this. Like <laughs> this person doesn't have to spend two years wasting their time learning this lesson. I can help with this. Uh, but it's it's pretty low volume. It doesn't like take much time or anything. The bigger thing is starting next Friday is the first of these mastermind sessions I've referenced before, where it's eight mastermind sessions. It's technically run through Founder Summit, not Earnest Capital, but they're 
sort of the same thing. I don't fully understand the relationship between them, but uh, so I'll be kind of running these eight week, one week mastermind sessions starting next week. So I've kind of been prepping for that, learning about what the expectations are and so on. Yeah. I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah. That'll be cool. Anyway, how about you? What's going on? Well, I have one more question about this hobby thing related Mm -hmm. to start up to last. Does this mean like we get to invest in things like t-shirts and (laughs) things that like we probably would have said no to previously? Yeah. Sure. Do you want to make t-shirts? Uh, my only concern is I think our graphic design is like mediocre. <laughs> I think it's great. Okay. We, we can do it then. I can't, I don't know how to design t-shirts. So I'm really asking if you'll design if, a t-shirt. If I'll do it. I, I, I can probably handle that. For, for Secret Santa last year or Secret Winter Friend as we call it, uh, at work, the person who got me made five uh, startup to last koozies for me, like beer koozies. So I already have a little bit of swag from that. Wait, I need one of those. I, I actually packed one for the next time I go out to Utah and then the the pandemic hit. And so I've never had an opportunity to give it to you, but you'll, you'll get one one day. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. And a secret winter friend is hilarious. Yeah. Non-denominational winter holiday celebration. <laughs> oh, cool. Let's see. Uh, what did my working on? I'm, you know, I spent the last few weeks, you know, if you've, as we talked about in the previous episodes, really working on the product. And prior to that, it was messaging and positioning of the leg up health brand. I'm now back figuring out, okay, how do I reincorporate outreach into my weekly routine? I had a good reflection with our, uh, with Lena, who is our marketing, um, one of our marketing team members. And we reflected. And I think one thing that we're missing out on, um, together is that we're working on different things most of the time. So there isn't this ongoing collaboration, reflection, joint reflection and iteration that comes from cooperate, like working on something together. Um, and, and so my, we, we, we talked about it. We, we went through a reflection. I really like the what's going well question, what's not going well, and then what should we try or keep related to those two things? Mm-hmm. Um, or what should we stop doing? And one of the tries that we have, we have two tries coming out that out, out of it that I think are worth sharing. One is, you know, I need to commit to spending 20 hours per week. However, I can spend it doing outreach. Um, one of the reasons that we decided that was if we look at the business and like some of the, you know, if we look at it from a startup standpoint going, what assumptions do we still need to validate about the business? we've pretty much validated the entire business model outside of like, will the scale, which takes scale to validate, mm-hmm. except, you know, can we reach out to someone who doesn't know about leg up health and get some, you know, get them to become a client at some predictable rate without being annoying. And so if that's the number one sort of like assumption we need to, to validate still, that should be getting, a substantial, substantially more of my time at this point than it has been getting. So outreach sounds specific to me. Like, is there a reason you're saying that and not distribution or like kind of a more generic version of growth? Like why it needs to be outreach specifically? I, I, I think you're right. I think it's a higher level. We're calling it outreach, but we really mean is spreading awareness of leg up health um, and that turning into 
you know, signups, mm-hmm. which turn into clients. It, so th- is, is the hypothesis right now that outreach is the best way to do that, but any form of distribution you could get would, in theory, like de-risk that aspect of the business? Yeah, I would say that outreach is one lever. Um, uh, you know, there's also other levers like referrals, SEO, but but the reality is SEO is probably not going to be something that we drive right away um, yeah. in the short term. So what are the things that cost nothing, uh, you know, and, and we can have immediate, you know, somewhat immediate feedback on it's yeah. reaching out to people. Okay, cool. So you said something like 20 hours a week should go towards that with, with the eye on, not on like growing the business. That's a nice side effect, but it's really about validating and de-risking that kind of pending question. Yeah. When we reach out to someone, what is the goal of the outreach? Is it like one of the big questions we have is, um, sh- you know, and I have this on the topics for today. Um, maybe we can, we can go back to this later. What, you know, what should the goal be for outreach efforts? Is it asking for a sale? Is it asking someone to, you know, trying to get someone to create an account and add their insurance policy information? Is it simply to, to say hello and, and make them aware that we're here if, and when they need us, but no pressure. Um, is it to ve- develop relationships, one-on-one relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, what, what is the point? Uh, and what, like if, you know, if Lena's doing this 20 hours a week on her own time, what's a successful week for her when she's doing outreach? Yeah. So you're trying to figure that out or do you, do you have theories about that? I, I haven't thought about it enough to be honest. And I think that's another sort of point on, I'm not spending enough time on this. Mm-hmm. So my gut tells me that it's probably strictly awareness and, edu- and, you know, at a first level education on, Hey, we exist. Um, and, and, and secondarily, you know, Hey, we're here to help you if you have questions or if you want to read about our, you know, we have a bunch of, we're here to educate. Yeah. And it's probably, you know, in terms of an ask zero, um, at, you know, in, as far as like goal number one. Yeah. Cool. What do you think about that? What do I think about you investing the time in it or about your, what is success for outreach? I mean, yeah. I, I think if you talk to a, a sales organization, mm-hmm. like a lot of health insurance agencies are, they're going to say, you know, scheduling an appointment with a sales rep is a, is the, you know, success for outreach. And, and, and I'm not there. Do you think you'll get there? Because like a lot of a typical SaaS business with a sales model, like versus kind of low touch marketing type stuff is going to ultimately the goal is to end up with this assembly line where it's like we have this step, which is like an SDR does outreach, some percentage move on to whatever the actual salesperson, some percentage move on to customer success or whatever. Do you see yourself getting there at some point? I don't think it'll be that simple. I think it's going to be a word of mouth business and it's going to be difficult to attribute a specific outreach to the the thing that got someone to move forward. I think it's going to be one of, you know, many things that we do that over time lead to this brand awareness of leg up health that causes people to, when they have a question about health insurance or a need around health insurance, they go, Oh, I'll just, I'll go check out leg up health. I buy that, although I also, that to me sounds like outreach is not a major part of your distribution. That sounds a lot like less annoying CRM, where you you make a little more money per per customer than we do, but not much. Um, 
it's hard to do outbound at $30 per, per customer per month or whatever. Um, and what you're saying is like, this is kind of top of funnel stuff. It's really hard to do outreach to get someone into a long buying journey that in the future will result in them buying. I think normally like direct outreach needs to result in a sale in a pretty like quick turnaround period because it's just too expensive to do otherwise. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it now. You're kind of in the do things that don't scale phase right now. But based on what you just said, if your hypothesis is right, it sounds to me like outreach is probably not a big part of what you're going to be doing in the future. That's a good point. The only thing that that I would say we I hypothesize this will change is open enrollment. I think mm. outreach during open enrollment is a different story. I, th- I don't think the goal changes. I think the goal still is like introduce leg up health to someone who didn't know it that, that existed before. And you know, I just think that the the likeliness of them take like you know moving forward in the journey with leg up health uh, is higher during that time period. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You more than almost any business in existence because you're selling health insurance and people primarily buy health insurance during this one and a half month or whatever period at the end of the year. The the, the rest of the year, they're not in a position to buy. So anything you do is generating awareness and nurturing them. And then all at once, there's this magical opportunity where everyone's a potential buyer. And that's when you can actually, which is so different from me. With me, it's like, there's no season to buying a CRM. When you reach out to someone, odds are very, very low that they're in a buying position. So you're always nurturing. So you're saying you may be for a month and a half, I can go, people people have intent to buy and the rest of the year people don't and it's about nurturing. Yeah, and I, exactly. And, and or pro, like, the, so, so there's sort of a middle ground too, which is success is, you know, sort of understand profiling the lead, like, for open enrollment. So for example, it's in, it's July right now. Let's just hype, you know, pretend it is July. I'm reaching out to a hundred people. If I reach out to those hundred people and I can find out all of, from all of them, whether they buy their own health insurance or not, sort of, yes, they buy their own health insurance or no, they get it through a spouse or no, they're on Medicaid or no, they're uninsured. Then over the course of, you know, a year, if I can do that a thousand times, and, and fit, you know, I don't know, mm. some, some, you know, percentage of them, let's call it 20%, 200 of them, you know, buy their own health insurance. That's 200 really qualified opportunities uh, mm. that we already have a relationship with for open enrollment. That makes a lot of sense. And like, as, as you evolve this and get more refined, what it sounds like is outreach is the thing you're doing, but there's kind of multiple different goals and out, like there's multiple different types of activity multiple of which involve this. One is, what I guess for lack of a better term, lead generation is kind of what you just said and qualification. And then a different one is like distribution and like customer acquisition. But that only really happens during open enrollment. Yeah, I'm realizing that there's actually three goals with this. First and foremost, the goal is to drive awareness with the first email uh, or the first reach out, however that happens. The second is to reinforce that awareness with any follow-up that happens without a response. Once that happens, it's and there's a, a response. Secondarily, it's profiling, mm-hmm. and then third, it's making an ask at an appropriate time when it, when it when it's not going to annoy them, and that's probably going to be during open enrollment. Yeah, that's the thing that maybe because you're closer, you already knew this, but the the, the way my thinking has shifted during this conversation is now understanding that those are two separate. Like one process is it's kind of like an alley oop to the other process. It's not 
the 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 actual closing the sale part of it is not it's it's a separate process basically that is almost on hold indefinitely until the window opens. Totally. Or or they opt in. Yeah, that makes they, a lot of sense. They, to me. they go, "Oh, I'm now aware of like a pelt and I've looked at your website. I'd like to talk about it." Yeah. I still suspect long term if that's the plan right now that that long term the first part of that gets replaced by marketing, content marketing, kind of more like one to many communication, but again, you know, that that'll come later. I like it. Well, that's good. What else you got going on? Uh, so earlier today, I gave my six-month presentation, which I've kind of referenced a little bit. I was afraid that by by record, we're recording this on a Wednesday versus our normal Thursday. I was afraid that we might have missed that time, <laughs> that presentation. So I'm glad. How did it go? Uh, it went well, I think. It's really hard to get uh, feedback over like a remote meeting because in person you can read body language and stuff like that. Uh, you know, everyone had their mic muted and stuff like that. So it, I'll, I'll find out. I have 19 or 18 one-on-one scheduled over the next couple of weeks, one with each person at the company to uh, hear their questions, ideas, feedback about the presentation, as well as other topics. So I'll get more. I'll have more to say next week and the following week, but I feel good about the content. Like, I, I think it, like, what's the point of this? We do this every six months. One is talk about what we've accomplished over the last six months. The reason for that is it's it's really easy when you're in the trenches day to day, it's really easy to forget all the progress you've made. Because like day to day, nothing really changes. But if you look back six months, it's like, holy crap, a whole lot of stuff happened. Um, so that's one point. Another point is to kind of like announce things, you know, various changes at the company. We didn't have any big announcements this time, but it's just a venue to do that. And the third thing is I normally do like a, a deep dive into some kind of high level topic that just the typical employee doesn't have a reason to think about it normally. So it's kind of this, this time it was the, the highest level possible. It was 30 year vision was the, the topic for this one. And I, I feel good about it. I, I have no idea if anyone actually likes hearing this, but it was, if nothing else, great for me. I spent hours and hours and hours preparing for this and thinking through what should the 30-year vision be and like, like what, what are the steps and what, where are we right now on that path and how does that inform what we should do over the next six months? That's such a different exercise when you are doing it for the purpose of communicating it to a third party than if you're just doing it for doing it your own sake, mm-hmm. because I mean, it acts as a, it's, it's like a, a, a constraint almost on like, if I can't explain this to someone, it's too big. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like, like as much as your employees can handle in a, in a one hour presentation, I guess is, was it a one hour presentation? 90 minutes, 90 minutes. So I, I mean, it, I finished 15 minutes early, but yeah. Okay. So let's call it an hour. Like you've got an hour to explain your 30 year vision. That's a huge constraint on your brainstorming and what a f- great forcing function to get to an actual deliverable on, on and confirmed thinking around that. Yeah. I, I don't think it would be a waste of time. If anyone out there is like, doesn't even have a business yet, or you're in the very, very early stages and you think, well, I don't have 18 employees to talk to. I think recording this and just putting it on Twitter or whatever, to your point, it would force you to think through this. And one example of how this helps, I ran through it last night as a practice and it was two hours. And I was like, I really need to cut stuff. And what I realized, I went through it and I was like, what parts don't need to be here? And then I realized these things, while they're maybe interesting or important, they have nothing to do with the theme. They're like this thing I was talking about is fully and completely unrelated to our product strategy. 
it doesn't need to be here. And so I went in and whittled stuff down. And now I have a much, much better sense of like what actually matters for this like really key, the, the main point of what the company is doing. I love it. Yeah. So again, I have no idea if the, the audience enjoys, I mean, normally I get good feedback, but like, I think any, they're not going to give me bad feedback exactly on the presentation. So, you know, I'll take it with a grain of salt, but if nothing else, it's a valuable process for me. That's great, man. I, uh, yeah. Um, are you going to be publishing your vision publicly or is this a private presentation? Um, I'd be happy to share it with you. I'd probably be happy to share it with anyone who asks, but it does have like um, information about specific employees. Like, you know, one person kind of got shifted to a new role. And I, I, I didn't make it with the thought of like, am I protecting other people's privacy here? Um, so I'd, I'd have to review if I said anything that other people might not be comfortable with me sharing. But in terms of like the, the business strategy, I'm, I'm certainly happy to share like what that is, you know. Well, I'd love to see it. And I guess uh, if you're a listener and you want to see it, ping Tyler. Um, and then maybe maybe at some point this turns into a blog post of some kind that even your clients can see. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. I, I'm always maybe like a little too self-deprecating here where it's like, why would any of them care about this? But the whole point is like, we are here to serve small businesses. Right now, we only do it with CRM. And I, I'm saying it's a 30-year vision. The twist is it's 30 years from when we started. So halfway through it, I'm like, we've already done the first 10 years of this. Ha ha. You know, um, that's like, so Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. Yeah, it's, a, it's a really stupid gimmick, but anyway, you got to try to <laughs> make it a little interesting. Um, but like the, the rest of it is kind of saying we, we need to be more than a CRM. How do we solve these customers problems in a bigger way? And so, yeah, I could see, it's a could see customers being interested in that. I love it. Hmm. Cool. Um, that's my last update for the day. You got anything else? Yeah. So last week we talked about um, how I got my first employer proposal uh, accepted, which is more of a SaaS product with an optional service added to it. Specifically, I'm calling it leg up benefits. And, and the idea here is that a company could set up, come online, um, find find legupbenefits.com, create an account, and then start offering benefits in real time to their employees via um, uh, what, what I'm calling a benefit allowance or benefit stipend um, on a monthly basis. So you know, the way it would work is an employee signs up, uh, employer signs up, they'll pick like you know when they want the benefit to start, how much money they want to give. Um, they can vary that amount uh, per month by. They could give each employee a custom amount. They could um, give each employee a fixed amount. Like every employee the same amount. They could vary it by family size. Um, we'll we'll support probably all of that. Um, and then you know we we build a benefits document for them that explains their benefits. And then that employee gets that money on their paycheck every month, separate line item from their payroll. And then the you know leg up uh, works with each employee one on one for their health and leg up health works with each employee one-on-one for their health insurance. And I envision ultimately partnering with other companies to, you know, for retirement and the other types of benefits on more of a direct to consumer basis. Um, leg up benefits is just the employer sort of management piece right now, you know, that I'm, that I need to build. So 
everything that I talked about from that the employer would see, which is basically design the benefits, design the 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 stipend, um, communicate the stipend, and then link to leg up health for health health insurance, and mm-hmm. then employ you know add employees, remove employees, that kind of thing. We talked last week about should I you know should I build this in Adalo? Should I build this in Stacker? Should I try to you know, work it into member stack. And we left with, it's probably worth just knocking out in a weekend with a no code tool separate from the existing leg up health instance, because this is something different. And it's, it's really, it's much easier to build something that's different. So I did some research this weekend and I discovered a new no code tool that when I looked at last time, it was nowhere near capable of doing what I needed to do, but it's called glide glideapp.com. And Man, they've come such a long way. They've surpassed Adalo in terms of functionality um, and the ability to deploy an application, fully functioning application to to mobile apps and a desktop version. And I think I'm going to build the leg up benefits this weekend. Well, no, I don't think I'm going to build legupbenefits.com out in no code Glide app using Glide app this weekend and have a you know a, basically a self serve product that. Any small business out there anywhere in the U.S. can start offering a stipend to their employees. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you like validated that Glide? I know like their marketing says you can do it. Have you like tested it out and actually like are are you worried that there are going to be some gotchas once you dive into it? I have no doubt there'll be gotchas, but I have also very low doubt. I I the I, I have a ninety nine percent confidence that getting to an MVP on leg up benefits around what I just described. Glide can support. Yeah. Will will there will it be as e- as straightforward as I f- see it happening in my head right now? I think there'll be some gotchas there, but I think they're going to be work. Around. I'm I'm pr- very confident that I'll be able to work around them. Yeah, because it's a pretty standard CRUD app. Like, fill out this form. We take the values from that form and put it in a PDF or like whatever format you need. It's sim- so much simpler than Leg Up Health. Leg Up Health takes into account a health insurance policy that you know APIs, all this kind of stuff. All Leg Up health benefits is, is basically, you know, have the idea of an employee and then attach the idea of a, a stipend to, to that employee and then summarize that stipend offering in a template PDF and link to leg up health somewhere in the app. Well, that's awesome. That's very exciting. Let me, if it's okay, can we dive into a decision? It sounds like you've already made, but I think a lot of people face this decision, which is I want to offer more than one thing or a thing to more than one audience, do you build this as two different sort of brands under the same umbrella, two different websites, or do you do you build it all under one brand and say, like, this is the part for individuals, this is the part for an employer? You decided to do a separate sort of, I mean, leg up is in both of them, so they're connected, but like separate domain, all that. Why did you go that route? Two reasons. One, uh, leg up health is, is a business that is focused on consumers. Leg Up Health is a consumer brand. It is about helping individuals who buy their own health insurance. It's very specific. And I put a lot of effort into positioning it that way. And it's it's a, it's a, it's a business that will grow over time. If anything, there's an argument that I should not get distracted by Leg Up Benefits and just focus mm-hmm. on that consumer business. Um, I have reasons, for, you know, validated reasons for not wanting to pursue that primarily around growth um, because I, I, I want to have a backup plan for client acquisition on leg up health, which is through employers. 
Um, I also, one of the reasons I started like up health was I saw the opportunity to grow through uh, sort of referral and one of the best sort of expansion opportunities from a consumer on leg up health is to be introduced to their employer and then have that employer go, I want to offer this to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so leg up health is a consumer service. It's free. It's, it's available to a, a, a individual user. Um, I, I started with this hypothesis that there's a business product here as well. I thought that, I, you know, my original goal was to con- not allow myself to pursue that. But not, without me pursuing it, what ended up happening was someone signed up for Leg Up Health online. The, the a consumer did. He found it, he discovered us through word of mouth, and he he brought his employer onto the first like consult, the consumer consult, and said, "Help me with my thing, and I'd like my employer to be here because I want him to see this too because I think they should offer they should figure out this should be what they do for all their employees." Yeah, and that's like. You know that happened, and so it's like, okay, now I've got a, a lead for a business. How do I deal with that? Yeah, which, which, just to pause real quick, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with you, and I think a lot of businesses hit this moment where it's like you had a plan, and some other opportunity comes and smacks you in the face, and like being stubborn in that situation, in my opinion, is a mistake. Y- y- you've got this big opportunity. I totally agree. Even though you could say oh, it's a distraction or whatever, I totally agree with your decision to go after it. But then you had to decide to go out and make it a separate brand. Yes. So in my pl- my my original business planning, this was always going to be a separate brand um, or, se- or a broader brand around benefits. I just didn't think it would happen until 2021 or maybe even 2022. Mm-hmm. So I'd thought through this already. Um, and the question for me was, like, from a long-term standpoint, is this is a separate product. This is a business-to-business product. It's not a B2C product. It's It's... it's it's, it needs to have its own messaging. It has different features. It will integrate with the B2C product and it'll be a lead generator for the B2C product, which is leg up health. B2C, by the way, is business to consumer. Business to, B2B is business to business. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I knew that was going to happen. What, the question for me was, what's the quickest way to get this out and validate the, ben- the, the new product without, um, you know, without having to put a ton of effort in around something that's not quite yet validated. Leg up health is validated from a product, a product and service standpoint. It's validated from a messaging standpoint to, to a certain degree. And, you know, leg up health, leg up benefits is now an idea that has some, some early customer interviews, you know, and, and potential customers to sign up. How do I valid, how do I get to the MVP stage on leg up benefits most efficiently without, also creating problems for leg up health. That's what went through my head. Okay. I'm not sure I exactly have an opinion on this, but can I like give the argument for the other side of it? Totally. And I considered the other side. I originally was going to do leg up health, um, but I've decided not to for very specific reasons. Okay. So I've faced this decision as well. And you know, back in the day, we were building a new product. We we have less annoying CRM with 20,000 plus users. And I decided to build a new product and we call it Sparse. And there are a variety of reasons why this didn't end up working out and we kind of killed it. One of the big problems is it didn't leverage the success we already had well enough. And I think it sort of confused. When we talked to people, they were like, oh, so you're a CRM company. And we're like, that's not what we're talking about with you. And they're like, okay, like what's Sparse? But then they were always interested in the CRM. Um, going forward, we still want to build what Sparse, the idea that Sparse was, but we want to build it into Less Annoying CRM to... I hope simplify messaging and stuff like that. I also think there's one of the problems we ran into is we were building a brand new website, new domain authority, no inbound links, 
And we, we started doing content marketing, stuff like that. And it was really, really hard because like going from zero to one is really difficult. I do think there are advantages, both in terms of clarity of we are this thing. Here's what we do for individuals. Here's what we do for businesses versus we are two things. And I think there are advantages too. We already, like we're building up reputation for this one website. Even if the apps are on different domains, that doesn't matter because there's no SEO once you're logged in. But like the SEO for the actual marketing, there are some benefits to keeping it all on one website. Totally. There are. Th- let's talk about the negatives though. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, they have ex- completely different target customers, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the... the <laughs> Oh yeah, sort of. Except there will be a lot of what Leg you just up said. Health, where let me be clear, Leg Up Health is focused on consumers in Utah who buy their own health insurance. Leg sure. Up Benefits is available in all fifty states um, mm-hmm. to any small business or any employer really who wants to offer a stipend to their employees. Massive, massive difference. Um, second, uh, Leg Up Health is very health insurance specific. Leg Up Benefits is about benefits, benefit dollars, and is not restricted to health. So there's a scoping issue in terms of like health versus benefits, which mm-hmm. health is a mm-hmm. subset of. And then there's a target customer standpoint, um, you know, c- with, in terms of consumer and business. And then there's a geographical constraint uh, on leg up health. So that's, that's my thinking there. That's right now, it, that's certainly true. Hopefully, mm-hmm. eventually, leg up health is in all fifty states. Eventually, right? Maybe, maybe. I guess, like, if I'm a employee who gets added an, an account or whatever on leg up benefits, I am going to be like, okay, give me my health insurance, and you can abstract it away as much as you want. But like, the experience they should think they're getting is leg up benefits is where I get my benefits, and that's where my healthcare comes from. Not, oh, well, let's refer you to leg up health. Uh, and they'll handle it. And I'm not saying you're saying that, but I would be very careful about that, that you you don't want these people to have to, have to understand the nuance of, oh, there's these two things and they sort of cooperate and they're owned by the same thing, but they're not quite the same thing. You want them to have one experience if possible. Do you agree I, with that? I don't. Um, mm. Because I, as, as I've, if, as I've um, I don't like the, as I've sold the leg up benefits product, what I'm realizing is that the service that is being offered there that we charge a monthly fee for is actually outsourced benefit advisory services. It's it's actually a professional service that um, is more like one-on-one employee benefits advice from an outsourced HR person. And Leg Up Health is a agency. Um, they are very different things in terms of what is expect- expected of of the service. So someone who sets up a leg up health account is not, you know, and it doesn't have an individual policy is not going to get the same service as someone who is enrolled on a leg up benefit product. Now, if you do buy your own individual health insurance, you're obviously going to be escorted in a, hopefully a really nice way to a leg up health, you know, what do you call it? A portal, but you don't ha- if you don't buy health insurance, your own health insurance, you you probably wouldn't set up a leg up health account. Yeah, I, I I'm just saying, like, if you're that employer, you ran into this at Zane Benefits and People Keep back in the day, where the job to be done for the for, sorry for the individual is this is how I get health insurance, right? You used to sell HRA software, and people were like, okay, now how do they get the health insurance? And you'd be like, we don't do that exactly, and that forced them to understand this complexity that you understand well, but they don't. 
So I do think the more you can abstract away the difference between these two and just say, the problem you have is you don't have health insurance and you want it. We solved that problem. Even though they came through the benefits thing, not through the individual consumer thing, I I do think that would be a better UX personally. That's my opinion. Yeah, totally agree. From a, I think we're, we're, let's, let's separate the conversation from there's product positioning and and explaining, and then there's, okay, someone's a user and what's their experience. Um, I, I want to separate those two things. And um, yet, I think I want to acknowledge that you're right by choosing to, to, to create different names for these two products and different messaging for these two products. There is a, a, a UX um, challenge that is created, uh, a user experience challenge created by having to explain the difference between the two and how and, and make it easy for a consumer to one get it and then take advantage of it. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. Sometimes when things are hard to explain, it's best to not explain it. If if people don't need to know, right? Like maybe it is the case that you have two different revenue streams and it's like the the price the employer's paying is going through like up benefits and the commission on your, their insurance policy is going through like up health. I I actually wouldn't be surprised if in the future you just like that's what's happening and nobody realizes it. Right? You're just like you pushed this button and now you have health insurance. Boom. That's all you cared about. I kind of look at it like a like an app marketplace for leg up benefits. So leg up benefits will have consumer services, which are mm-hmm. basically, you know, like apps in a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Leg up health is going to be one of those apps. The difference between leg up health and other apps is it's native. How do I make it yeah. native? Um, how do I make it feel like it's part of leg up benefits? Because I, you know, leg up benefits is part of the same company, the parent company. That's the trick. And, uh, yeah. And and so it needs to be a, a more delightful and and better experience than say Vanguard the Vanguard retirement app um, or consumer <laughs> service um, and mm-hmm. how to, how to do that it'll you know will happen based on you know trying to do it some way and then a user goes this is stupid yeah. and we go yeah it is how do we fix it cool just to zoom out here for like obviously what we just said is very specific to you but maybe a, some takeaways that any random listener could think about here is like first of all I think almost every business faces this dilemma at one point or another. Like you're, you end up having multiple ideas, multiple audiences you serve. You can like go overboard and fragment to like 50 different domains and brands. You can totally consolidate and say there's just one thing and one price. Uh, there are examples of this, like my Office 365, Adobe Creative Cloud, like this kind of recurring revenue bundle is becoming more and more common. It sounds like you're not going the extreme consolidation, but simpler than it could be. There's probably not a right or wrong answer here, but just like this is a really important thing to be deliberate about because I can say from experience, years later, you will be majorly affected. You, not you, Rick, but any any person will be like beholden to this decision that you made in the pretty early stages of the company. Yes, I totally agree with that. And that's why it deserves some thought, right? This is not something I decided in a day. This is something I've been thinking about since I started the business. Yeah, something, yeah. you know, it's something that, I, you know, I, it's frustrating how long it's taking to make a decision on this, but I'm glad I'm taking the time because of what you just said. I want to call out two like higher level things. One is around, should you even build the product in the feature? And then one is around, how do you deliver it and position it? Um, you know, I think the, most of the time you're, you're probably going to have the first question come up and you're going to have your, if you're being honest with yourself, the answer should be, no, I'm not going to build this right now, especially yeah. early on. I wonder like is Spar- for sparse, for example, is, was the question for sparse really, should it have ever gotten built? No. Okay. Um, 
the, the difference between what you're doing and sparse is people came knocking on your door asking for it. I still want to build sparse, but the, the thing we did wrong is it was a distraction, exactly like you said. The next time we try to build it, it's going to be iteratively expanding what less annoying CRM is rather than in parallel doing this separate thing. That, that was the big mistake. So I think what you're getting at too is how complementary is this? So so two two questions. First question, should I even invest time into building this functionality? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and th- that I think depends on how complementary it is to your existing focus. If it's if it's going to help you do more of what your your primary goal is, like it's probably a yes. If it's not, it's probably a no. Um, yeah. and, and so so for for leg up benefits, this was a Wow! Like if I I have three clients right now, th- three four employer proposals, you know, in progress. They represent fifty uh, employees. Okay, that's fifty people that could become leg up health clients if we figure out how to deliver the leg up the the benefit program to them. This is very complimentary in terms of lead generation for leg up health. I would go further and say it's not just complimentary; it's a bigger opportunity. Like so that's a set. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not only is it complimentary, but it's also a bigger opportunity. And there, there's an argument that it's it should be higher priority to build this out than even yeah. building out leg up health. Right. So and and that's I think a key difference is you're not saying I want to run two modestly successful things side by side. You're saying I I'm still in the early stages here and I don't know. Like it's what we said last week, where there are ten things that could succeed, but which will succeed the best. And you're leaving yourself open to the possibility that going the employer route will get you where you want to go faster than purely 100% focusing on consumer. And just to put this in perspective with the the 30-year presentation I just gave, what I said in that is the first 10 years is building a single product sustainable bootstrap company. The third 10-year gap, so I'll skip the middle one for a second, the third 10-year gap is create a new product category where basically we say like, we have we've built enough of a platform that we can finally go out and build that ambitious other thing. And the second is kind of bridging the gap and saying, let's turn that single product into a bundle of products. Anyway, I'm maybe getting more specific than I need, but the key is we're 10 years in and now I think it's time that a second thing, like like you said, don't, don't work on two things. That's a distraction. That's true until I think you kind of max out the one thing. The one thing it's on cruise control. You've got teams running it. It's growing. You've got happy customers. At that point, you can say, is it time to complicate things? To do that while you're still finding product market fit would be crazy. Totally. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's good. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, do you have any other updates or things you want to talk about today? I have a topic that actually relates pretty well, but I think it, it would certainly dominate the rest of the time and maybe then some. So we could talk about my thing, but it might be better to if you have any other topics. Let me review it real quick. Yeah, I would say that this is a big, this is probably, I'd want to spend more time on your question yeah. or topic than we have left today. Um, I'll just, I want to do one rant and then I actually have um, a question from a listener uh, that I think we could knock out in the remaining time. And, mm-hmm. it, and it does relate also to what we just talked about in terms of leg up benefits. Cool. So, Go for it. Um, so real quick rant, um, Google Meet. So I, the three predominant video conferencing applications seem to be Google Meet, Zoom, and Microsoft Teams. And in terms of quality, like from poorest to highest, it seems Microsoft Teams is the worst from my experience. Google Meet is second worst and Zoom is the best. 
I uh, I don't know if you've had similar experiences around that, but I've gotten to the point where Google Meet has become so unreliable in terms of quality that I can't use it anymore um, as my default video conferencing app. So I'm switching everything to Zoom. Um, I recently found a setting in Google Meet that I don't think used to be there, or maybe the setting was there, but the default was different, which is it seems to now default me to 360p as the quality. Have you tried going into the settings and changing that? No. Now, that's not helpful if you're meeting with a bunch of external people and you'd have to tell them that every time. So I only really do internal meetings over video, so that would work for me, but maybe it wouldn't work for you. I I wonder, though, would that address some of the problem? My primary problem is not a video problem. It's an audio problem. When we're doing a a, a podcast, for example, Google Meet will freeze um, audio-wise yeah. You know, multiple times during the podcast. Like we've had, we're doing a Slack call right now and it hasn't happened a single time. Yeah. I can't disagree with you. I absolutely hate Zoom's UX. I agree their quality is the best. I think the thing that makes me love Google Meet and that causes the problem that you're saying is it's web based. Yes. Web based means the performance is worse, certainly, but. It's so easy. You just send someone a link. There's no app to download. And, and Zoom has all these dark patterns. It's not just that it's you have to download an app, but th- th- Zoom's just a pain in the ass, I think. Whereas with Google Meet, I just have one link. You can reuse it over and over. It's just so easy. So it's, it's a sh- I think you're right, but it's a shame that you're right. No, I, 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 the reason I've stood on stayed on Google Meet so long is because of the web-based functionality. It's so easy for someone, you know, a client that's less technical to just get into and not have issues. I worry about switching to Zoom where I'm working with maybe a less sophisticated tech, tech, technology uh, wise uh, user, you know, of our, of our software. And it's like, they can't figure out how to download Zoom. They got to download it and all this kind of stuff. But, but it seems like for scheduled meetings, that's just going to be and, and with remote work now being yeah, so prevalent, Zoom these days. Yeah, so it's like if that comes up and there's Zoom issue, Google Meet's a backup, right? Like I can always send someone Google Meet, but that's yeah. but leading with that seems you know for scheduled meetings and then you know for people who already have Zoom installed, it seems like a silly thing to do. Yeah, I'm staying away from Zoom for kind of like stubbornness reasons. I, I think they're not that Google is a model company, but Zoom is among the shadiest, shittiest tech companies out there, and I just can't give them my money, but. Uh, it's more of a principled stand than a functional one. Like I do think probably what you're doing makes sense. Cool. Cool. Um, anyway, I feel better having talked about that. And that does mean that Startup to Last will now be a Zoom-based conversation. We can always use Slack if you prefer, but I just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> okay. It's actually good that we switched to Zoom anyway for Startup to Last because if we ever wanted to do video recordings and do anything on YouTube, it would Zoom makes that very easy. It does. It frustrates me. Google Meet, uh, during when COVID hit, started offering free, like you were able to record stuff. I, I just, I pay for G Suite. So I was like, oh, like I'm a paid customer. Of course I get the ability to record stuff. Uh, it turns out you have to be on the enterprise tier, which is like way more expensive. And that's the only thing I would want is the ability to record. So I did my six month meeting presentation today in Google Meet. This is the last day you can record. <laughs> so I'm at work also, we're going to stop using Google Meet uh, at least somewhat for anything we need to record because that that will be disabled after today. There's such like Google could have my brand like loyalty on so many applications and my money if they just were better, slightly better. Yeah. The, the flip side of this is I pay, I, I think something like $10 a month for G Suite per user. 
Zoom by itself is $10. For, for, for $10 with Google, I get Gmail, I get the calendar, I get a good video conferencing tool. I, I mean, the amount of functionality you get for that $10 is unbeatable. But yeah, I'm not going to pay another 20 bucks a month per user just for the ability to record a meeting. Like that, that'd be nuts. I'd pay 30. If they're just like, you have to pay 30 bucks a month, I'd be like, sure, that's easily worth the it. The product isn't good enough to compete on price. Uh, but the other products are. Their video chatting product isn't, but I'm, I'm not just, paying for me, right? I'm, I'm paying purely, for Gmail. No, I'm, I'm not saying switch from Gmail. I like Gmail, but there are multiple products in which Google's just not quite there yet and they prematurely yeah. charge for it. Like Google Voice is an example of this. Why They should not be charging for G Suite Enterprise Google Voice separately, just like they do with Meet. It's not there. Like they have some serious functionality gaps, like uh, API access, for example, um, yeah, integration with CRMs. So anyway, uh, that kind of took up the rest of the time. I do kind of want you good if we talk. Do you have a few minutes? Yeah, yeah, or do you I'm, have a hard stop? I'm free. Okay. So Akshay, um, a while ago, we were talking about free trials and uh, I think we were talking about less annoying CRM's conversion rate to free trial. And he, he wrote in uh, via Twitter and, and said, Hey, you know, he's a, he runs user bit and I think it's called user bit, right? Am I getting mm-hmm. that right? And, okay. and he, you know, he had recently made a change to his free trial um, he said he had removed the credit card upfront requirement, um, and it led to significantly more a higher conversion rate on free trials by not requiring the the credit card upfront. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I wanted to talk about this real quickly because this is something I want to design from the beginning the right way with Legit Benefits. Legit Benefits will have a free trial, uh, some sort of free trial. It could be seven days, it could be thirty days. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to have a free trial component. Should I ask for the credit card upfront? Or should I ask for the credit card at the end of the free trial or when they upgrade or whatever you call it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And what are the pros and cons of each approach? Yeah, I'm guessing you already know what my like answer is going to be. There's more to it, like like the why behind it. But I'm obviously uh, don't don't ask for the credit card, or at least deep by default. I think there are situations where it makes sense. The most obvious one, let's just get this out of the way because it's not even interesting can somebody abuse your service? So if you're an email marketing tool, can someone sign up for a free trial and blast out 500,000 spam emails and then you shut them down, but it's like, well, the damage is done. Uh, you need, whether it's credit card or other methods, a way to like validate that they're a real person and credit card's a good way to do that. I don't think you're going to have that issue, right? No. So are we mostly talking about, like normally when you hear this conversation, it's what is like... It's basically very like down to brass tacks. It's there's two options: ask for the credit card up front, ask for the credit card at the end of the trial. Which one makes me more money? Is that basically what we're talking about here? I think that's probably the right way for the conversation. Which one's going to result in more money over the long term? Yeah. First of all, I would say test it. Like, feel free. I mean, you, everyone can test it. I've heard all kinds of different anecdotes on both sides of this. Um, I think it probably depends on what type of service you're offering and stuff like this, but. Uh, some arguments I've heard against, like why you will make less money if you require a credit card upfront. One is if you're selling to businesses, but not the decision maker at a business. So for example, Tuple, which is a pair programming app, has a bottom up, a land and expand approach where the first person who signs up is normally not like the boss. It's some random programmer. If you ask for a credit card from them, they're like, I don't have a credit card. And this is just a free trial. I'm not going to go to my boss to ask permission. I haven't even tested it out yet. So 
I, I actually don't know if they do or not ask for the credit card, but like that's a situation where probably you don't want to because the person doesn't have a credit card um, versus if you're selling to the manager, they probably do. Um, on the flip side of that, I've heard an argument for asking for it is if you need to create a sense of urgency. If people are signing up for your free trial and they're not like taking it seriously, making the free trial shorter, offering a credit card up front is a way to, for, for them to like really value it and take it more seriously. There's probably a million others, but those are just two to get us started. What do you think about those? Yeah, I like it. Um, what's your philosophy behind not doing it up front at less than mm-hmm. CRM? So first of all, we can't. Our name is less annoying CRM. If you go to our pricing page, we're like, here's all the annoying shit other companies do. And that that would certainly not be consistent with our brand if we did it. But just generally speaking, there are all these hard decisions to make where you're like, which of these will make me more money? If it's even a question, even if putting the credit card up front would technically make us more money, if it's even a question, I think if if it's if one is obviously better for the user, and you're really asking the question, which is better for me? If you've got two things that are about the same for you and one is better for the user, it's a no-brainer. You do what's better for the user. Um, and you are not going to find a customer anywhere in the world who's like, I really wish you'd asked for my credit card up front. Like, that would have been nice. Nobody wants that. Yeah, so in other words, if you care about the user experience and making it the best possible experience for the user... And you want that to be a like, what's the best brand decision for, in, with that in regard? It's put the free trial afterwards. Yeah. The other pro might be of putting the free trial, of putting the credit card afterwards or payment information afterwards um, is you probably get more free trial signups. Yeah. I've definitely heard people say, if you have your onboarding flow really figured out, put the, put the credit card at the end. Because you get more leads into the top of the funnel and you can handle them well. If you don't have it figured out, what you should be doing is a very manual process, reaching out to each one. And in that case, what you want to do is restrict it down. And by asking for the credit card up front, it's really a way to qualify. It's a way to say, I'm going to invest my time in the 10% of people who are actually qualified instead of all of those people who are just kicking the tires. That's really useful for me. It's clear to me now that I want to... I want to definitely put the credit card credit card up front because this is an MVP and I don't have onboarding figured out. So I only want to be dealing with people in the product that are more serious about, about buying and real people and the putting the credit card up front will validate that. Um, but I definitely think that over the long term, I will shift towards free trial afterwards, primarily just because of the brand experience. That makes sense. But what you might consider is don't put the credit card up front until you get swamped. Like right now, you can probably handle all of the volume you're going to get and just keep that in your back pocket until you really need to use it. I like that. This actually, if I can like tangent real quick, this will be quick. One of the things we're working on on the customer service team is we want basically a knob, not a literal knob, but a figurative one where we can turn it up and down based on the number of free trial customers coming in to say like, how much time do we have to invest in each person? So when it's really slow, we could be like, we're going to give them white glove. We're going to reach out multiple times. The demos we offer are going to be an hour and so on. And then if it gets really, really busy, we might say, well, they haven't logged in since their first hit. We're not going to offer them a demo or, you know, whatever, whatever things we do. And it seems like we're, we're talking about something similar for you here, which is like when the volume becomes a problem, have this knob and the credit card's one thing but there could be many others to say, I want to inc- qualify people more and more and more because I don't have time to talk to everybody. 
Yeah, I like it. It's it's the same thing we we're talking about last week with Leg Up Health, where it's at some point you get capacity, and instead of having people, you know, be able to create a free account online, they first have to join a wait list that gets pre-approved, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so that that's interesting. I like I like the looking at it like that, and that it really makes it about because because it, ma- it really makes it about what's the best for from your volume perspective right now. Yeah. Um, and for some companies, it's almost always going to be you know we can't handle free accounts from everyone. We need some sort of qualifier for leg up benefits. I do imagine a time period where we, we might be better off putting the, putting the credit card afterwards. Cause, cause get it. Cause it's a more complicated, here's an insight. I think the more complicated your product is to get to value and for people to get it, the more new age it is mm-hmm. like th- that means they need to get in and experience it and try it. Um, then the less the, it's probably better to have the, credit card at the end because they're not going to get to that aha, aha moment um, on your website before they sign up with the free trial. And so you kind of use your free trial in that case as the aha, uh, as the aha, um, the way you get to the aha. You don't want credit card to get in the way of that. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And it kind of gets to like, when does the sale happen? If you're doing a more enterprise type of thing, you've probably already convinced the person that they're going to go with this prior, or at least that they're seriously considering it prior to them getting in the software. Whereas if you're more of a self-service type of thing, they haven't been sold yet. It's premature to, to do the credit card at that point. Yep. That's great. Cool. All right. But well, let's just keep in mind as the undertone here, there are reasons to put the credit card up front, but you always, it is never, ever, ever people do mental gymnastics all over the place and convince themselves it's better for the customer. It's not shut up. That's a lie. It's worse for the customer to put a credit card in up front. <laughs> totally. Cool. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.